Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. The place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. We might, uh, for the purpose of this sermon, just tweak this a little bit and say that the place God calls you to is the place where your your gifts and skills and abilities all come together with the world's deep need. When you can combine those two things, you know why you're here. You know what God has created you to do and the purpose for which he has made you. Now, as we think about this, this quote, and we try to answer the second part of that, the world's deep hunger, the world's deep need, as Christians, we know what that is, don't we? We know what the world's deepest need is. I mean, the world has a lot of needs these days. Of course, there's a lot of unrest in our world and in our nation. And a lot of us are thinking about issues like poverty and racism and gun control. As important as all those issues might be, they are not, none of them is the world's deepest need, greatest need. The deepest need of the world is reconciliation with their creator. It's the most important thing for anybody to consider. What people need more than anything is forgiveness of their sins. They need to know that their shame and guilt has been washed away. They need to know that they can have relationship with their God. And through the work of Christ and the penalty that he paid on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, that is possible for any who would put faith in him. And that is the primary need of the world and that's why we as a church exist, to proclaim that message and call people to faith. As J.C. Ryle said, spiritual is the disease and spiritual is the remedy. So as we look at the second part of this quote, we can answer it. The world's deepest need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we go to the first half of this quote and the answer might be a little more difficult to get to. What, what is or where is your deep gladness? What, where, what is it that you have been specifically gifted and skilled and equipped to do? You get the answer to that, combine it with the answer that we know in the gospel, and you have found your place in this world. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning in Romans 12, 3, 3 through 8 finding our place in the world. As you know, we're going through the book of Romans. We're just taking one passage at a time, going through the greatest letter ever written. And we have arrived at chapter 12, started chapter 12 last Sunday, and we noticed um, an abrupt change in tone and style in Romans. For the first 11 chapters, we've been seeing all of this doctrine and explanation, and then we get to chapter 12, and all of a sudden the tone changes, and now it's all application and very specific instruction. We've been hearing for the first 11 chapters about what is true about the gospel, and now Paul is telling us what to do in response to what we've just heard in the first 11 chapters. Doctrine first, and then duty. And one of our duties as Christians is to find out how we're gifted, how we're equipped, skilled, and blessed to meet the world's deep needs. And that's what this passage is about here in these verses 3 through 8 in Romans chapter 12. So let's stand now and 
read this passage. Romans 12, 3 through 8. Paul says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. God in heaven, by your spirit, would you please open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, how do we find our place in the world, particularly with regard to spiritual gifts? Uh, we've heard about this before, not the first time that this has been preached about here at New Life, um, but we get some very specific instruction here in Romans 12. And the first thing that we find in these first couple of verses is that we should assess ourselves. Find your place in the world to discover where your deep gladness is or where your giftedness is. The first thing to do is to assess yourself. And so that's what we see in verse 3. The command is this, by the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you, here's how you should assess yourself. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So a, a couple of things here that we can see. Um, first of all, I think what Paul's telling us is to accept limitations. This can be kind of a, a painful thing to do, but he tells us here, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. In other words, we should resist the temptation to pride. Shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than what God has gifted us and equipped, it, equipped us to do. That's, that's one way to look at this, to kind of avoid a kind of a snobbishness or a smugness about the way God has gifted us. But another way to look at this is to to think about how often we are sometimes demoralized by the gifts that we don't have. Some of us are prideful about the gifts that we do have. Others of us are demoralized, discouraged constantly by the gifts that we don't have. It's a very important step, I think, in spiritual growth to get to a place where we can simply accept the way God made us to be where we can get to a place where we're comfortable with the person that God made us to be, where we rejoice in the gifts that God has given us, but that we have come to a place of contentment with the gifts that God has not given to us, that we're not constantly looking at other people and wishing that we were them and not us. It seems like Paul came to this place here in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I'm the least of the apostles Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not 
in vain. It's like Paul has just gotten to the place that I am what I am by God's grace and I'm content with that and I've got a checkered past and I've got a lot of things I'm ashamed of but I am what I am by God's grace and I receive that with contentment. Friends, are you in this place where you're just kind of always kind of looking to the future, hoping that you're going to be somebody different, always looking to the past, ashamed about things that you didn't do or did do because of people that you look at and wish you were more like. There's something freeing about accepting your limitations, realizing that everybody in the body of Christ is limited in some way or another. So avoid thinking more highly of yourself than you should. But then Paul also says that we should not just accept our limitations, but accept our gifts as well, I think is a proper way to read this. He says we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. In other words, there's some degree of positive thinking we can have about ourselves. He's not saying don't think highly of yourself at all. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Think instead with sober judgment. Have an objective assessment of yourself. Think of yourself in a way that is in accord with reality. And so if you are a gifted person and God has given you skills and abilities, and that applies to everybody in this room, you can assess that, identify that, and thank God for that. And there's nothing prideful or haughty about saying, you know what, I think God made me good at this. I'm good at this because God made me good at it. All of you have gifts, friends. 1 Peter 4 says this, as each has received a gift, each, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Underestimate, friends, your skills and abilities. Pretending to be humble and saying that you can't do anything good. That's not true. It's really an offense to God in a sense because God has gifted you. Don't deny those gifts. Don't undermine those gifts. It's not thinking with sober judgment. Not having a clear and accurate assessment of yourself. I mean, as an example, if you think of a basketball team, let's say there's a star player on the basketball team. He's clearly the best shooter. He's the offensive powerhouse. He scores 10, 15 points more than anybody else on the team. Let's say the game is winding down, seconds left, the game is tied, and the star basketball player takes the last shot and misses it. The whole team, of course, is discouraged. Everybody's sad. They've, they lost the game. But nobody blames the star basketball player for taking that shot. I mean, assuming it was a reasonably decent shot, nobody's going to hold him accountable for that or criticize him for that. In fact, the team expects him to take that shot. Because they know he's the best player. And he should know that too. That's one of the responsibilities of a star basketball player is to know. I'm the guy who ought to be taking the shot and trying to win the game for my team. There's nothing prideful about that. There's nothing self-righteous about that. That is a basketball player assessing himself with sober judgment. So assess yourself. Except there are certain things that God has not gifted you to do. Realize that there are things that God has gifted you to do. He's blessed you in that way and given that to you. So Paul goes on. There's an interesting phrase here at the end of verse 3. He says that uh, 
He says, uh, think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So what Paul seems to be saying here is that the faith that we have and the gifts that we have are given in accordance with God's sovereign decision. We all have different levels of gifts and abilities, and the one who has determined that is God. He has assigned some to be super gifted, and he's assigned others to be average gifts, and he's assigned others to be not so gifted as even those with average gifts. It's up to God. He has sovereignly determined who would have what gift. There's something kind of freeing about that, and just knowing that you don't have to muster up gifts that you don't have. But your responsibility is to find out what those gifts are and to put them to use with envy, without jealousy, without resentment about the fact that there might be a lot of people who are better at that task than you are. I remember I went to Gospel Coalition years ago and uh, there were a number of different speakers, but two of the speakers were Mark Driscoll and Phil Riken. And probably most of you have heard of Mark Driscoll. Maybe not everybody's heard of Phil Reich. And Mark Driscoll used to pastor a church called Mars Hill in Seattle. Huge church. Thousands and thousands of people. He'd written books. And um, very popular guy. He spoke. Dynamic speaker. Powerful speaker. And Phil Riken, pastor of a church in Philadelphia. Very different personality. You know, gifted differently than Mark Driscoll. And both of these guys spoke at Gospel Coalition, and I remember afterward noticing we were all kind of milling around talking, and there was Mark Driscoll standing there, and there was probably a line of 75 people waiting to talk to Mark Driscoll with their Mark Driscoll books, with them signed, and just 15 feet away, I mean, just, just a little bit over from Driscoll was Phil Riken, and there were probably five guys wanting to talk to Phil Riken. I just remember looking at Phil Riken and just wondering what he was thinking at that time. Here I am, here's my five guys who are wanting to talk to me, and there's 75 wanting to talk to Mark Driscoll. And who knows what was going on in Phil Riken's heart, but I'll tell you, he, he looked completely comfortable with himself, completely at ease completely content, as far as I could tell, with the place that God had assigned him in that moment. And it's a wonderful place to be. It's a place I want to be. It's very interesting, isn't it, that Mark Driscoll's church is now defunct. Phil Riken is president of Wheaton College. You never know how things are going to turn out. But Paul makes it clear here that we should assess ourselves. Second thing, as we find our place in the world, prioritize the church. Verses 4 and 5, we see Paul use the metaphor of the human body to describe church. Verses 4 and 5, as in one body, we have many members. Do you know what a, everybody knows what a human body is like? A human body is a, is a, a living organism with many parts that work together in a very strategic and carefully designed way. We need all the parts of our body. It's interesting how sometimes the smallest parts of our bodies affect our entire bodies, right? If you have a broken toe or a toothache, I mean, very tiny parts of the body, but your whole body is affected by that. 
And Paul uses this metaphor of the body to describe the church. The church is like a human body. 1 Corinthians 12, he explains in some detail what this is like. I'm going to quote this uh, because it's uh, important for this particular metaphor. Paul says, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. But should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an Uh, And I, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and one body. So very clear what Paul is using here is this metaphor of the body to describe the context in which we should discover our gifts and our abilities. And so by way of application here, I would say this. The only way, friends, that you can discover your spiritual gifts in the context of the body, in the context of the church, in order to know how God has equipped you, you have to be in the church. You have to be at work in the church. Those are the waters in which our gifts swim and are identified. And as you cut off parts of the body, you find that they don't have usefulness. What good is an amputated foot, for instance? It has basically no function whatsoever apart from the body. And if you are trying to live for Christ outside the body, you're going to find a similar frustration in trying to understand how it is that God has gifted you. It takes place in the context of the church. And so Paul goes on to talk here about the way the body exists. And we see that there is unity in the body and there is disunity as well. Um, or diversity, I should say, not disunity, diversity. Unity and diversity. First of all, there's unity in the body. Look at verse 4. For as in one body, many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members one another. A strong emphasis on the unity of the body. We, We are unified as a people here in this church And what unifies us, friends, is not fundamentally or most profoundly that we're all Americans or that we're all even Presbyterian. We're not unified by our politics. We're unified by Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, in whom we have been united by faith. That's the unified central part of the gospel that brings us all together. That's why we recite the Nicene Creed here at least once a month in order to declare the basic content, doctrinal teaching that we all unite around and say this is our rallying cry. This is the central thing that we are all committed to, even though we might differ in other ways. So there's a unity to the body. J.C. Ryle says this, unity without the gospel is a worthless unity. It is the very unity of hell. There's unity in hell in a sense. You know, Everybody is unified around their rebellion against God. So just to be unified is not good enough. There's a unity around central doctrinal content. 
That's what Paul has in mind here in this unity. But there's also diversity, right? Very clearly here in verse 4, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. We're all differ, uh, gifted in many different ways. The, the church, in a sense, is the most diverse community on the planet. The church is the place where diversity, that is diversity of gifts and abilities and interests, should be celebrated. We're all made very differently. We don't listen to the same kind of music. We don't dress the same. We don't have the same hobbies. We don't have the same political views. But we don't disunify. We don't break from one another over those things because we're unified around the gospel. And so we can agree on that. Nonetheless, there's a significant amount of diversity in the church. It should be recognized. It shouldn't be considered a threat. It should be welcomed, accepted, and encouraged as long as those universities don't threaten what we're unified around, the gospel. So verse 5, Paul says something I think is very interesting. So though we, uh, so we though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts, verse 6, that differ, um, no, that's not it. Uh, verse 5, yes. Yeah. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Individually members one of another. Yeah. So what this is saying is that we are members of one another. The, the idea here is that we actually belong to one another because of our unity in Christ. So the gifts that we have actually are given to us to benefit the church. And the gifts that God has given to others are given to benefit us. There's a sense in which I can say that I, as a member of the body of Christ, have a right to your gifts. And you have a right to my gifts as we belong to one another. And if you are not involved in the church, if you are not serving in the church, if you are not exercising your gifts in the church, you are depriving others of gifts that rightfully belong to them. And also depriving yourself of gifts that rightfully belong to you through these others in the body that have been gifted in specific ways. So prioritize the church. This is the context, this is the place in which we discover our gifts. And I want to just give you a list of the needs that we have at New Life. I know some of you are very involved here at the church and you're working hard and maybe others of you are, are, are new and you're trying to figure out exactly where you fit and what you want to do. But there are a diversity of options uh, here at New Life. These are ministries. These are not all of our ministries, but these are a number of ministries in which there are uh, needs. There's a hospitality team here that prepares meals for uh, people with specific needs and conducts pitch-in meals here on a regular basis for the community. Reach Yorktown is a mercy ministry to the poor and needy in our community in Mount Pleasant Township. Kids Hope is a mentoring ministry to children in the Yorktown Elementary Schools that has been going on here for a number of years. Elmcroft is a ministry to the elderly at an assisted living care center in Muncie. The Muncie Mission 
reaches out to the homeless in Muncie. Um, Frank Baldwin, who opened our service, is uh, director of the Muncie Mission. Light and Darkness seeks to reach out to uh, women who are trapped in the adult entertainment business industry uh, in Muncie and Anderson. Youth Ministry, I already mentioned, we're looking for a director of youth ministry, so we don't have that leader right now, and we have volunteers who are serving the youth, and so um, we could use help serving junior high and senior high students. Christianity Explored is our primary evangelistic outreach. It's a seven-week class that explains the gospel in a very simple way. We'd love to have people willing to open their homes, have people over, and go through the Christianity Explored curriculum. Missions team. We evaluate our missionaries and seek to make decisions about financial support and new missionaries that we might take on and mission trips for the church. We have a group in El Salvador right now. Missions team deals with that. Children's church. Uh, you saw me down here with the children and you saw the teachers and the helpers uh, who led the kids away and are with the kids right now. We need people willing to be with those kids during the sermon to just kind of watch and make sure everything's okay, but also to teach. Uh, ushers and greeters at the door, many of you were greeted as you came in. Uh, if you're gifted for that, we need help there. The nursery, self-explanatory, I think. We need people with uh, a love for children to care for our young ones. Our tech team are the people in the booth directly behind the seats there. They're the ones that make sure the PowerPoint works and sound works, and we need people to serve there. And the worship team, those are the ones who play music for us every Sunday, our instrumentalists and singers. If you're gifted musically, uh, we would love to have you. See what we're, can you see the diversity of gifts that are necessary to make all of this work? And yet it's a diversity of gifts that are contributed to one common goal, and that is to exalt, proclaim, and honor the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Last thing, discover your gifts. Assess yourself, first of all. Prioritize the church as the place where your gifts are tested and exercised. And then lastly, discover your gifts. How do you do that? Question that probably a lot of you are asking. If you don't know already, you're wondering, how do I know what I'm gifted to do? And how do I know what the church really needs me to do? Romans 12 is not the only place where spiritual gifts are listed. And so the first thing I would say is, is look at all the places in the Bible where the spiritual gifts are listed for us. And so let me show you those. 1 Corinthians 12 is one. Paul says this, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. Notice the emphasis on the Holy Spirit here as the giver of gifts. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. That's, that's one list of spiritual gifts. None of these lists are exhaustive. I don't think even when we put all of these lists together are they exhaustive. There are gifts that we have that aren't even mentioned uh, in the scriptures, but here's a good place to start. Here's Ephesians 4, and notice the emphasis on Jesus here. He is referring to Jesus. Jesus gave apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, 
teachers equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. There's, there's the unity, common goal, building up the body for the sake of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, the Spirit gives gifts. Ephesians 4, Jesus gives gifts. As we look here in Romans 12, you might notice that it's God who's giving the gifts. Verse 3, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Just a wonderful kind of Trinitarian emphasis here in these three passages. The Spirit gives gifts, Jesus gives gifts, and God the Father gives gifts. But to discover your gifts, look at these lists. Read them, study them, each of these means. Romans 12, we have this list. Verse 6, we're told that some are given the gift of prophecy. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Prophecy, I think, is just speaking under the divine inspiration of God. That takes different forms throughout redemptive history. I think it's roughly equivalent to preaching today. But that's one gift listed here. Service is another gift. Verse 7, service in our serving. Um, these are the people who do behind-the-scenes work. These are the people who uh, you know, don't demand a lot of credit. They're not up front. They're not very visible, but they're making sure things get done. They're taking food to grieving people. Um, they're shoveling sidewalks in the winter. Uh, these are our servers. In Acts chapter 6, we get an example of that where there are certain individuals set aside to wait on tables to feed some of the widows who were hungry at the time. And it says, so that the apostles could devote themselves to prayer and the preaching of the word. You see two entirely different gifts there. Some are teachers, some are servers. And one does the other, the other is freed up to give himself or herself to what he or she is gifted to do. Verse 7, teaching is another gift listed here. The one who teaches is teaching. We have Sunday school teachers here, adult Sunday school, children's Sunday school, junior high, senior high, we have small group Bible studies that take place. Tammy Perkins has been teaching a women's Bible study here for years and years. Uh, clearly a woman gifted with the ability to teach. Um, verse 8, we have another gift, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. This would be a person who is gifted with the ability to, to give wise counsel, a person who is able to encourage somebody who is discouraged, someone who can comfort, who just has the right words to say and knows the words not to say to people who are struggling and grieving and going through difficult times. That's a gift, and many of you have been on the receiving end of people who don't have that gift. <laughs> And say the wrong thing at the wrong time. And you know how hurtful that can be. But I think that's what the gift of exhortation is in verse 8. Also in verse 8, we see the one who contributes or the one who gives. This is the gift of, of giving. Um, some people, they have resources and God has just gifted them in that way. They know how to make resources and, and make money. And God has given to them a spirit of generosity and they like to give it away. It's not to say that if you don't have a lot of resources, you shouldn't give. I'm not saying that, but there are some more gifted than others in gathering resources and giving them away. That's a gift. They also the gift of leadership. The one who leads. 
with zeal. The leadership is just some, simply somebody who has vision about where he or she wants to go and is able to get people to follow. That's leadership. Some people are more followers than they are leaders. One thing is for sure is that what makes a good leader is to have good followers. When everybody's a leader, that can be difficult. And so again, God has gifted people in different ways to make this work. And then lastly in verse 8, there's the gift of mercy. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The ones who do works of mercy are the ones visiting the sick and the dying and the, the widows and the orphans and the struggling Sometimes when you're interacting with people who are really low down, it can be easy to kind of adopt that kind of an attitude. And so Paul says, if you're doing acts of mercy, do it cheerfully. People who are grieving generally need to be cheered by those who are serving them. That's the list that we get in Romans combined with the list in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. And you get a pretty good idea of the diversity of gifts that God uses in giving to his church. So how do you discover which of these applies to you? And, you know, I, I really think it's a lot easier than we make it sometimes. We do have a spiritual gifts test, and if you want to take that test, we'll give that to you, and you can answer the questions, and I do think that those are helpful and useful. But I, I think you might be able to discover your spiritual gift by asking some very simple questions like this. What do you like to do? I mean, it's really pretty simple. What do you have a passion to do? What do you have an interest to do? What do you think about a lot? What, what are certain problems or needs in the church that get your attention? Certain things you hear about and they're a problem and it's just you're not moved at all. But then you hear about this thing and you just feel your heart warming up. You have a concern for this. Um, you know, as, as a, an example, uh, I know uh, Cassidy O'Hara, who's sitting here in one of the front rows one Sunday, was looking up here and noticing that some of our plants were kind of yellowing a little bit. That concerned Cassidy. She has a love for plants, so she came to me afterward and talked with me, and uh, we worked it out so that she could come here to the church uh, one day, and she spent a lot of time in here. Um, removing some of the plants from the soil and helping nurse those plants back to health. And um, they look pretty good, I think. She did a good job. It was something that she noticed. I, I wonder how many people even noticed. I didn't notice that there was a yellow leaf on the plant, but Cassidy did. And so that's one of the ways you discover your gifts. What are you noticing as a problem? When you notice an issue in the church or a need that needs to be filled, don't just walk away and say, well, somebody else will do it. You're bothered about something? You see something that's not happening? You see something that's lacking? Well, step up. Could be an indication that God has gifted you in that area and wants to use your gift to meet that need. Another question to ask, what, what do others say you're good at? I mean, just because you have a passion for something doesn't necessarily mean you're gifted at it. So it's helpful to ask people, you think, how do I do with this? Or just to notice what people say to you. If somebody is constantly saying to you, you know, I, I just always feel so encouraged when I'm around you. You probably have the gift of exhortation. If someone says, you know, I, just concepts are made clear when you explain them. You probably have the gift of teaching. Someone says, I was, you know, sick 
and I was mourning and I was grieving and nobody seemed to care and everybody forgot me and nobody sent me an email or a call except you. You were the one who came. You got to get to mercy. Now the fact that we're gifted differently doesn't mean we're off the hook for doing the things that we're not gifted at. Sometimes we're called to do things that we don't want to do. But I'm talking about the things that God wants you to spend most of your time doing. I think there's something kind of freeing here, too. When you find something that you're really gifted at doing, what that means is you're kind of off the hook for doing the things you don't really want to do. Now, there might be times when you have to, but it's not going to benefit the church if you're constantly giving yourself to something you're not gifted to do. And so one of the best ways to discern that is to listen to what your brothers and sisters have to say. And then the other thing you got to do is just, just use your gifts. We see this in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. <laughs> that might be the clearest, most obvious thing that we find in this whole text. Use it. If you got a gift, you got to put it to work. You got to test drive it. You got to get it out on the road. You got to see how it feels. Use your gift. And it's not only in an effort to discover your gift, but to make your gift better. You can't improve in your gifts. 2 Timothy 1 says this, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Once you discover your gift, work on getting better at it. Well, let me make one last point here before we move to the table. And uh, it's just wonderful how all passages of Scripture you know, get to the issue of grace. And we see this again here in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Paul opens up, for by the grace given to me, he says in verse 3. Friends, spiritual gifts are a lot like our salvation. They're totally by grace. They're not earned. The people who are super gifted are not super gifted because they're such morally faithful, godly people necessarily. I mean, a lot of super gifted people are Godly. I'm just saying that if they're super gifted, it's not God's way of paying them back for their godliness. That's not grace. That's not the way grace works. What Paul is saying here is that gifts are given by grace. They're a free gift according to how God chooses to give what he wants. But the other side of that coin is simply this. If you've lived a life of rebellion against God, if you've been apart from him, if you have been ignoring him, if you have a lot of shame in your life, God, if you're a Christian, has still gifted you. No matter what your past has been, God has gifted you. You're a gifted person. God is not holding back those gifts from you as payback for your rebellious life because that's not grace either. Isn't it wonderful to think that you could be a brand new Christian and can begin to immediately serve the body of Christ in a way that changes lives and builds up the body for the glory of Christ? If you're a Christian, you're gifted. And God in His grace does not withhold gifts from sinners. And that is the very essence of the gospel that we celebrate. So, Find your place in the world, friends. There's a lot of opportunities here. If you've got further questions about how to get involved, we'd love uh, to talk with you about that. So we're going to get ready to come to the table now. Let me pray, and uh, we'll sing a closing song before we come to the table. Father, we thank you so much for your grace to us, primarily and most fundamentally in our salvation. 
the forgiveness of sins we have, the filling of your Holy Spirit, the righteousness that we have in Christ through faith alone. But on top of all of that, oh God, we thank you that in your grace you gift us so we can bless others and find our place in this world. We thank you, praise you in Jesus' name.